Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight has been working in the audiobook world for 13 years and is now head of audiobooks at Scribe Media. Jeff Gio, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Rich. Really great to be here. Great to be talking with you. Yeah, we met at, uh, it was APAC. It was one of the virtual APACs. Uh, we may have met in person, but I, I don't remember that. But I know that we spoke, uh, I think it was last year, not this year. And, uh, and I've, you've been in the back of my mind ever since I, this is going to be my first episode in several months because, oh, just a confluence of things, but I'm, I'm really glad that it worked out and you were available today. Oh, absolutely. Me too. And yeah, I think, I think it was not this APAC because I wasn't at this APAC. So, uh, was, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was the it, one before. Yeah. And it was virtual. So it was it, the one before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. Thanks for coming into the speakeasy. Since you're in a speakeasy, uh, what are you drinking tonight, Jeff? I am drinking LaCroix's passion fruit sparkling water. LaCroix. It's a it, it's a classic. Uh, I've got some in the fridge right now. I have not had one in years. Somebody brought that at some point and it just sort of sits there. One of these days, somebody will have it, but uh, I hear good <laughs> things about them. <laughs> it's good stuff. What are you that's, drinking tonight? That's, that's good. I am having a drink that I, uh, I found recently. I, I saw it many months or years ago, and then I never made one. And uh, I saw it again recently and I thought, you know, I got to try that. And I was pleasantly surprised because looking at the ingredient list, I didn't think it would really work. Uh, it's called a good cork. Um, can't remember the guy's name who invented it, but he was in a New York, uh, establishment many years ago. And, uh, it's a combination of equal parts mezcal and Irish whiskey, which sounded really odd to me but uh but mm -hmm. it's that plus a little bit of benedictine and uh Peychaud's bitters and so i thought well that's just weird enough that that i want to try that <laughs> so i i tried it i thought it was great so i thought i would have one here in the speakeasy the uh the irish whiskey is kind of new to me i found it recently it's called uh the whistler and i bought it because it's in an oloroso sherry cask uh for finishing and i really like the sh the the sherry cask finishes for scotch and now irish i think this is the first Irish that I remember seeing in a in a cask that's not a uh, standard, just regular oak or used bourbon or something. Uh, and now uh, bourbons are coming in a lot of different finishes as well. I had one the other day that I think was a, a Cabernet cask. Um, mm. I, I like it because it's not flavored, it's not infused, but you get just a tiny little bit of some extra flavor, some something different in the finish and uh oh and jameson I, I take it back jameson's uh one of my favorite cask finishes is jameson's stout finish and uh, i really like that one it's a great after dinner drink so uh so anyway i'm having a good cork uh so i hope that the the lacroix is good and i'm looking forward to this good cork being as good as the last one i had so uh thanks for coming in cheers cheers sir <laughs> All right. So, uh, so where are you from, Jeff? That, that name, uh, Gio, it's not really spelled that way. It, it looks sort of French. Um, it, it is French, uh, that, that came from my dad. Um, haven't seen him since I was 10 years old. So that that's pretty much all that he gave me quite, quite but, some time <laughs> <laughs> where I'm from. I grew up born and raised on Long Island in Port Jefferson station. I am not familiar with Jefferson Station, but then I'm not really that familiar with Long Island. I'm always surprised when I look on a map and I see just how big Long Island is. That thing is huge. It, it. I mean, I don't know if huge is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> well, from my perspective, because I always think of it as just this tiny little thing off the side of Manhattan. And it, it goes on forever it, when I'm looking it, at a map. It, it goes on for a bit, indeed. Yeah, um, yeah Port Jeff Station is it's like the middle of the North Shore um, in Suffolk County. Okay. All right. So, uh, so you grew up there and, uh, did you go to school out that way? Like college school? Yeah. Or? Yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I did basically after high school, I took, I think I took a year off. I, I really don't remember which way, things <laughs> but I did go for a semester up to Fredonia. I did a, a one semester in their music business program. 
And I did not have my shit together enough at that point in life. Uh, So then I came back after that semester and I did three semesters at Suffolk Suffolk Community College um, while I was slowly getting my shit together. And then and then one day, like no joke, one day in the middle of the night, I was up screwing around on the computer and it just clicked for me. I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. And I went down. I don't know what my mom was doing awake, but my mom was awake. And I went down and she's sitting at the kitchen table. I was like, mom, I want to go to college for real now. And she's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to, I want to get into psychology. I want to study psychology and I want to go do this at Stony Brook. And Stony Brook was like eight miles west from where we lived. And she was like, oh, okay. So it was, it was kind of funny how that happened in the sense that. I went to see my old high school guidance counselor and told her what I wanted to do. And she's like, oh, hang on a second. I have, I want to give you something. So she goes and she, she brings back an envelope and the envelope is sealed. And she goes, give, the, give this to the admissions person to talk with at Stony Brook. And I was like, okay. And didn't open it. You know, it wasn't for me. And that's the kind of person I am. I'm not going to like sneak into an envelope that's <laughs> sealed. <laughs> I trust she had something positive to say. So I go to the admissions office at Stony Brook and the, the ladies meeting with me and we're talking about psychology and whatnot and why I want to get into it, why I want to do it. And she gives me this application. She's like, okay, just take your time and fill this out. And I was like, okay, well, I do this. My guidance counselor, you know, wants me to give you this envelope. And she's like, oh, okay. So she takes it. She gets up and walks away. I start filling out the application. She comes back two minutes later, says, don't worry about it. You don't got to fill that out. Wow. And I started in Stony Brook the next semester. <laughs> so what was in the envelope? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> what a great story. That's fantastic. Um, and, and I don't blame you. I, I know very few people. Uh, I am certainly not included in this group who had their shit together at that point in my life, in, in their life. Uh, and I, I certainly didn't. So uh, not, not unusual at all. I, I do know a few people who they knew what they wanted to do in high school. They got out of high school. They went into college. They did that. They started a career. They loved it and they still love it. But uh, that, that's, I don't think that's the majority of people. <laughs> you know, you know, Rich, my wife is that person. Yeah. She, she, right out of high school, she went, she wanted to be a graphic designer, uh, do, you know, graphic design, web design, print design, all that jazz. She went to Otis. She, she's from Los Angeles. She was born and raised in Torrance uh. and she went to Otis out there and that was it, you know, got out of Otis pretty much. She's never, you know, she's had a, she set up her own business. She had a business partner for, for a bit, but they went separate ways. Um, but yeah, she she was a graphic designer. She's still a graphic designer. This That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I think it's unusual. I don't know. Most of the people that I know, they had an idea about what they were going to do, and uh, it just it just didn't work out. Um, so so that's great. So what did you do with with a psychology degree? What did I do with a psychology degree? So I mean, it, I, it, it I I realize that there is some psychology involved dealing with us crazy narrators. But I, I assume that that's not, you didn't go directly from getting a psychology degree into audiobook production. I kind of did. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> um, this is great. All, so all of these points are just so unexpected. What, what I wanted to do with psychology was get into research and work with abnormal psychology. That I had, I had wanted to do that. I mean, that when I was like a young guy, that kind of piqued my interest. And I don't even remember where it come from, came from. I just wanted to work with abnormal psychology and do research. Mm-hmm. So I was just finishing up my junior year of finals at Stony Brook. And I get a call from a buddy of mine, a childhood friend. He lived two houses down since I think we were in first grade or second grade. And we grew up to, we're like brothers, essentially. His family, my family, my family's his family. That's cool. And um, he was in the Marines. He was stationed in Camp Pendleton. His five years was up and he didn't want to re-enlist. And his wife was not going to entertain another cross-country drive, (laughs) especially now that they had a baby. So she hopped on a plane and he wanted to know if I would go out there and spend a few days in San Diego and then take a ride with him. So flew out to San Diego before I made it out of the airport. I was going to live in San Diego. 
like that. <laughs> <laughs> did not even get out of the airport, and that was it, Rich. I was, I am going to call this place home. What what time of year was this? Oh, it was just after finals in the spring semester, so it, it was like it summer. Be, yeah, yeah, I I could see that with San Diego. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So I uh, I spent I think it was four or five days as he finished the last of his, his things that he needed to do with the Marines. And then we literally hauled ass back across the country. We did we did San Diego to Long Island in 48 hours. Oh my God. There's there's a funny note here that sort of I guess it kind of comes full circle. The only time we actually considered stopping and sleeping was in Texas. And we got out of the car, go to use the bathroom. We're walking back to the car with a plan that we're going to go find a motel or something and call it a night because we're both shot. And this ginormous bug flew into my face. It had teeth and it had wings <laughs> and it tried to bite me. It scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I punched it in the mouth, flew into the car and said, I am not coming to Texas. I'm not staying in Texas. I'm never coming back to Texas. Uh, and here I am living in Texas. <laughs> I wonder what um, happened to that bug. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's fantastic. So you got back to New York and then what did you do? Just turn around and go straight back to San Diego? More or less. Finished up with the wow. undergrad degree. I have one more year left. So finished up mm, with graduate. Right, junior year, yeah. And then uh, another buddy, not the same guy, different, different dude, uh, Dan, buddy Dan Leo. We were both really into music. He wasn't a musician. I played guitar, but we wanted to be audio engineers. We wanted to get into the metal scene and start producing bands. Oh, wow. And I guided us to L.A. to go to L.A. recording school for the sole reason that L.A. was way closer to San Diego than New York was. <laughs> Now, with that said, there is not a day in my life that I've been ever able to call San Diego home. It never uh, happened. Got trapped in L.A. So this was 2007. We started L.A. Recording School in 2007. We finished. It was November. We finished November 2008. And then it was just a hustle. I, I had done some interning at Studio City Sound. I was hammering out resumes, you know, doing what the career development department tells you to do. Um, I had an interview at Paramount Recording Studios that I'll never forget because the dude goes, the dude offers me a job and tells me he's going to pay me like, I think it was eight bucks an hour, eight fifty an hour. Now this is back in 2008, 2000, the end of 2008, beginning of 2009. But I was not a young dude like coming coming into this career you know right. no one was paying my rent so i said to the guy can you guarantee me like 80 85 hours a week and he looks at me and he's like i can't guarantee you that why would you even want that i was like nobody's paying my rent dude like if if yeah. that's you're offering me a job with money that is not going to cover my living expenses and it's not like i'm living an extravagant lifestyle you know? right, <laughs> it's like right. it's way low end and it's yeah. not going to cover that so we shook hands and parted ways and didn't take the job with Paramount. And a short time later, I saw an ad for uh, an audiobook production company. And you just you needed to understand Pro Tools. You had to have foundational knowledge of Pro Tools. And I was so freaking excited that I was going to have a job where I got to use Pro Tools. I didn't care that it wasn't music. I was just psyched to be using Pro Tools. Right. right. Boom. I go down. I do the interview with them. And the funny, the funny thing about this, is, you know, I do the interview, everything goes well. Uh, Deb Dion is walking me out as, as the interview finished. She had Samson, you know, her dog, her and Bob's dog. They're cheap. So her and the dog are walking me out and we get out front of the Tarzana house. They didn't have Northridge at this point. And I had been working at that time with a credit union. And she's like, well, you know, you did, you did good on the interview. And Devin, the guy that did the technical interview with me, you know, he, she goes, Devin feels confident that he can teach you how to do this. You showed en enough proficiency to, to, you know, come in with what we need and he'll show you the rest. But like, you know, we, we do audiobooks and you work at a credit union. You're going to be an independent contractor. We don't have medical benefits and, you know, you're, you're a little bit, She's basically saying you're a little bit older and these things might be important to you and we can't offer them. 
Sure. And yeah. I was like, <laughs> so she's trying to talk me out of taking the job that she just offered me. <laughs> and I'm looking at her. My response to her was like, look, Deb, I flew, I moved across the country to pursue this career. If you don't want to open the door for me, that's fine. Somebody's going to open the door for me at some point, and And that's where I'm going to be. So if you're making an offer, I'll accept it. And if not, that's okay. And she goes, no, we're, we're making you an offer. I just want you to think on it before you accept it. And I was like, there's nothing to think about here. We're having this like ridiculous <laughs> argument. Yeah. And she's like, just go home tonight and just think about it. And then call me in the morning and let me know if you want to do it. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, Rich, <laughs> there could not have been a better foresight for what the future was going to be like. No kidding. Than that conversation. But, um, but I, you know, I went home and I was like, I don't care about benefits. I, don't, I just want to do this. And uh, that was it. Called her in the morning and said, okay, you know, I thought about it. And if the offers there, I'd like to take it. So then, so then what happened that made you look back on that and think, yeah, I should have thought about it more. Life. Yeah. <laughs> Life happened. You know, it was, I, I would say that at that point I was a young 27. Um, I would say at this point, I'm a young, Jesus, 40, 41 is coming up quick. I'm going to be a young 41. That's just yeah. kind of my personality, but there wasn't, you know, it was just me. You know, yeah. it was just me at that point in my life. I was just beginning. It's kind of funny that when I was starting with Dion Audio, I had just met my wife and our relationship yeah. was was in its very early stages. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, this is I have a family now. <laughs> it's just like, oh, here's this girl that I'm interested in and I'm gonna see where this goes. So right. I didn't have really anything commanding like you know you you need these things because they're important at your age there was nothing right. like that i was kind of still a bit of a free spirit i think no i understand and that, um, that, that age even the mid-20s um it's a lot different than you know i'm i'm pushing 60 and it's a lot different uh you know the the things that you have to be concerned about are just far different so so i get it and yeah, and that's exactly it. And I do not believe for an instant that you are pushing 60, sir. <laughs> <laughs> believe it. Believe it. Well, almost. I'm pushing 59 in a, in a couple of months. So so I'm kind of pushing 60. It's, it's a little ways out. But, You're uh, doing something right, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I'll get there. Uh, in any case, so, so that was Dion Audio. So you started with Dion, and I know that you were there for quite some time. Yeah. I I mean, I started as an editor, did not... Didn't know what I was doing. Um, well, you knew Pro Tools. I knew Pro Tools. I knew, I knew that. <laughs> I probably knew more about Pro Tools then than I do now, actually. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, they trained me on editing. And then after editing, I moved into quality control. Um, that The quality control story, that, that, was, that was a funny one. So we, we would do QC work for Penguin Random House. And at this point, we were still on CDs. They were still on CDs. This was really before digital grabbed hold. So it was a really? Friday. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So so this yeah. was uh, late 2000s. Yeah, yeah, I could see yeah. that. So they were still, they would bring CDs or we would have to go pick up CDs from their office in Woodland Hills. And we would use paper scripts as well. We weren't on PDFs oh, yet. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. This, this monster QC comes in. It's a Friday. It's a four o'clock. Everybody is itching to get out. And their number one QC guy, I mean, he was the guy. When the QC came in, he got it first. And then there was somebody behind him if he couldn't take it or he was on another one. And then there was somebody behind that person. There was this like chain of QC people. And I was not part of that chain. But I was so eager to learn that every time an opportunity came my way or was within reach, my hand just went up. So yeah. it's a Friday, four o'clock. Deb is standing in the office with this monster paper strip and this stack of CDs. And she goes, okay, we got a QC. And they PRH had a crazy turnaround. Like they needed the notes, I think, Monday morning. So somebody's mm. weekend just got ruined. Right. <laughs> she's like, who wants to do it? And my hand goes up. And I was like, I'll do it. And she's like, really who wants to do it yeah. <laughs> i'm like i'll do it i'll do it and she's like guys come on who wants to do this and i'm like 
me, me, me. <laughs> so, she that she is says, so funny. Scraped the stack of CDs. Nobody else is showing interest. She's like calling on people. There's a guy, Rob. Rob was the number one guy at that time. She's like, Rob, can you do the QC? He's like, nope, I got plans this weekend. I can't do it. She takes the, the script with the stack of CDs, slams it on my desk and goes, well, I hope you don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> now, That's too funny. I kicked ass, Rich. That's great. That's I, I great. Kicked, I kicked ass to the point that I quickly became the number one QCer. And then I grew into managing the team of QCers and training God, the what team a, of QCers. What, what a great story about, um, you know, being willing to kind of stretch yourself and take risks. I mean, you know, because that was somewhat of a risk. Um, who mm -hmm. knows what's going to happen? You haven't done this before and you're totally willing, but who knows, you know, maybe you would have screwed it up, but, it, <laughs> but instead look what happened. So, so that's a, that's a great story on, you know, being willing to, to kind of step out of the comfort zone. And that, that was my time with Dion audio. Every time there was something else from QC, I moved into directing and directed a ton of books and then started training and managing this human directors. Um, I was the first person, this was around the time, Bob, that, had gotten sick and Deb's, you know, Deb was tied up with Bob. Sure. Yeah. Neither one of them was in a position to manage the studio. And I became essentially Dion's first official studio manager uh, and uh, spent a number, number of years as a studio manager. I sat, even the accounting desk, there was a point in time where the person that did the just day-to-day -day bookkeeping stuff they had to tap out. We didn't have a replacement. We didn't find someone to replace it in time. Mm. So I sat at the accounting desk for like two or three months just doing day-to-day -day bookkeeping. And it was just that kind of any time an opportunity came up, I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> that's cool. That's, that, that's great. So then you learn a lot of the different pieces. I used to work at a bank. And um, I'll tell you, there, there's something to working at a big branch because you can kind of make a name for yourself and you can do things. There's also a lot to working at a small branch because at some point, if you're there for more than a few months, you have to do everything. You have to, you know, take on all the roles. And there's a lot of benefit to that because then you can go to the next place and say, look, I've done all these different pieces. I know the process from start to finish of all these different things that have to take place. So there's there's a lot to that. There's um, a, a lot of good that can come from having to wear all the different hats at different points. Having to wear them all at the same time kind of sucks, but having to wear them <laughs> at different points is is a good thing. So so that's great. You got a lot of experience at Dion. Um, and now you're not at Dion. So what happened? Uh, so it was around, it was my eighth year. I think it was my eighth year with, am I remembering this right? Yes. It was, it was my eighth year with Dion Audio. At that point, I had literally worked in every phase of audio production and, and I did well in, in whatever they threw at me. Yeah, I did it well. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, Deb was happy with the work that I was doing. I was happy because Really what, what I found and I slowly learned about myself through the years was growth is what drives me. It's not that there's a passion for any one thing. As long as I can see a future and I can see that I'm going to do something new, uh, that's really what pushes me to keep going. That's so very cool. In my eighth year, she asked me if I wanted to become the director of global business development. And I was like, that's a freaking badass title. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, absolutely. I want to be the director of global business development. And, you know, it was, it, it was cool. And it wasn't probably what any other director of global business development did, but it was cool for me for the time that I did it. Basically what I did was until that point, Dion Audio really only worked with US-based publishers. So uh. I would work under the guise of Deb. Like I, I, for three years, I pretended to be Deborah Dion. So if, if during this time you had like an email with her, chances are it was you and me communicating. Got it. <laughs> um, okay. But, but so so they were trying to branch out then if they were only in the US and you're global now, they're uh, or global development, they were looking to say, look, we can make this go bigger. 
that was it. And she started going to conferences. That was when she started going to like London Book Fair and Frankfurt Book Fair. And what I would do was book her with meetings. And this became, it became a funny thing. I never got to go to these conferences, but she would go and Jamie Dupris would go. And before Jorge went to PRH, um, he would go to a couple of these conferences as well. But I would book her meetings, like 30 minute meetings back to back to back, open to close every single day of the conference with publishers. That was what I did. And it helped us land, you know, she landed Harper in the UK as a client. She landed PRH in the UK as a client. We worked with some German, Germany-based publishers. Um, the stuff in Spain, and that was really more for hate because I don't speak Spanish, but I didn't speak <laughs> German either. And we landed some of those clients. <laughs> uh, but but that, that, that was it. So it was true in that sense that I was... I had really played a key role in helping the company grow in that way. I just wasn't doing it as myself. I was doing it as Deborah Dion. Sure. So it was about, you know, that was year eight, year nine, it was the same. And that's when it became apparent to me that there was really nothing else I could do for this company. This mm -hmm. is a mom and pop shop what can I do to help push the company forward? Because the, the vision was just audio. So there really wasn't a ton of other stuff that was going on. And I spent another two years doing that. And it, it was like painful, you know, it was painful inside because there was, the growth was gone. It was like, mm -hmm. I look back and I was like, Holy shit, I've done this and this and this and this. And now it's like, here, this, I'm, I'm above the ceiling now. But right. not really. And, Ceiling's holding me back. Right. And and you've already <laughs> learned that what you really crave is growth moving That's, forward. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I briefly left the audiobook industry. I worked as a financial advisor for about a week and a half for Northwestern <laughs> Mutual and realized I was not at the right position in life to take that step. Yeah. So I came back and I had kind of freelanced around the industry a little bit. And then Deb had seen that I, you know, things didn't work out with Northwestern Mutual. And, and she, you know, she asked me if I wanted to meet her for lunch. And we went out of lunch. And she's like, you know, there, there's a spot for you. If you, if you want a spot here, there's, always, there's a spot for you. There's going to be a spot for you. So even if you want to use it as a short-term thing where you find something else, that's fine. Come, you know, come. If you, if you need this, if you don't need it, don't worry about it. I, I, I can totally see that as an employer, you're talking to somebody who you know is totally competent in every aspect of the business that you're running, even if they're only going to be there for a short time. It's a win. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So one of the things, you know, so we got to talking and I, I agreed that I would come back, but that I was looking for something else at, at the same time. And she was okay with that. And she's like, what do you want to do different? I was like, well, for a lot of years, I had had a face at Dion Audio, but when I stepped away from that to be this director of global business development, I lost, it wasn't that I lost those relationships, but I was, I mean, I make a joke out of it in the sense that at that time, when people asked me what I did, I said that, oh, I spend 40 something hours a week pretending to be a female entrepreneur. <laughs> and, and folks that didn't really know what I did that I said that to that's you know I got the biggest shock from them with saying that like, what the hell sure, <laughs> people yeah. in the industry they kind of put it together as I would explain mm -hmm. it. but um I was like you know I, I kind of feel like my identity has been lost and I'd like to come back I'd like to do the same work and I you know as always I'll do whatever I can to help the company whatever you need me to do I'm happy to do but I want to do it as me I don't, I don't want to do it as you, you know, if you need me to cover your emails for a day, I'll cover your emails for a day, but I don't want it to be this ongoing thing where every day I'm forgetting Jeff Gio and becoming Deborah Dion. You know, it's, I'm going to start putting my wife's dresses on and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> Not so, that there's anything wrong with that. No, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to do, by all right, means, right. we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she, she was agreeable to that and she, you know, to her credit, she didn't really even understand that that was something that was troubling me. And there were a couple other guys that 
had sort of grown into this role that were working with me in that capacity where they were setting meetings for her or Jamie at these conferences uh, and doing it as her or Jamie. And she was, you know, she went back to them after this conversation. She's like, okay, well, you guys keep doing this thing, but do it as you, you know, you, you can be an assistant to us. You don't have to be us. And it started giving these guys some life as they continued working in that capacity. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was cool. So I came back and I was doing it all as me. And at some point, it was actually before I had left to be a financial advisor for a week and a half. <laughs> I'm saying that. Um, Scribe had started hiring the audio to produce their audiobooks. And oh. in addition to doing the the global business development, the other part of what I did was manage uh, independent publishers and self-published authors that came to the on audio for audiobook production. So the Scribe account got handed over to me. And, you know, in the beginning, it's just like any other client. It's they're sending you projects and you're happy to be getting the work and you're communicating with them to get the projects rolling. But I noticed a few months in that every single publishing manager at Scribe was communicating with me consistently in a very positive, organized way. I was like, what is this? You know, we, we work with all sorts of clients, but there was nobody that was this consistently great to work with. Mm-hmm. Like they asked great questions and they, they remembered what you told them because those questions wouldn't come up again. They were, they were just so impeccably organized and I start reading about their culture and who they are as a company and how they treat the people that work here. And I'm like, what? this is like a happy little cult in Texas. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm truly intrigued by this organization. So uh, I had kept digging and I found the Scribe Culture Bible, which is, you know, if, if you look up Scribe Culture Bible, you'll find it. And it's basically a set of principles and values that guides everybody that works here. Uh, you know, it, it guides us on how to do work, how to interact, how to, how to push the company forward. It's, it's, I had never seen anything like that before. And I was so, so intrigued by it. So I had actually come down and interviewed with them three or four years ago at this point. It was before the financial advisor thing, because the people, when I left the audio to do that, the folks from Scribe sent me a bunch of books that pertain to financial advising that they had, (laughs) that they had published here. Right. Uh, but I had come down to interview with them and it just wasn't the right time. You know, they weren't, they weren't ready for me, but we were going to keep the relationship open and ongoing. And I was going to continue, you know, doing what I did for them through Dion audio. So I just, you know, I just kept managing that account as time went on. And then, uh, the, uh, the CEO, you know, Javon McCormick reached out to me and he said, Hey, Jeff, just, you know, we're, are you still interested in working with us? We're thinking of bringing audiobook production in house. And I was like, I'm too eager. I, I was pretty much like, uh, yeah, when do you, I'll be there next week. Does that work? And then my <laughs> wife is like, what the hell are you talking about? We are not going to be there next week. And I was like, okay, got to talk to the wife before I make any decisions. But, um, so that's fantastic that you had the, uh, you, you had the ear of the CEO. He had your ear. You were both interested. So where is scribe media? Austin. Austin, Texas. So Austin, Texas. All, of a, all of a sudden you're packing up and moving to Austin because then it was the right time to make that kind of move. Indeed. Indeed. That's cool. So, so what did you, what did they hire you on as, how did you start there? They hired me on as the head of audiobooks with the goal of building and developing in-house audiobook production for them. So they were so, not doing in-house audiobook production before that? No, they were contracting it all out to Dion. Wow, talk about growth. That's that's <laughs> growth for you. All of a sudden, you're thrown into a, a, basically a brand new position, doing something where all of the pieces you're familiar with, but you've never been like in charge of the whole thing. So, so that's very cool. Um, so how did it start out? It's all funny, Rich. <laughs> it's all funny. <laughs> so I guess before we get into how it started out, let me, let me explain a little bit about Scribe's 
when I now I could, I mean, I could get up and take you on a tour of this place, but basically when I had first come to interview with them, they, they had the office that they're in now and it sort of like ended here and here. And it was long. It was, it was a little bit narrow. I mean, it was a nice size office, right? It was a nice size office. And right before they had done an expansion. So they expanded off into that direction. They got the space next to them on that side. There's a brewery on the other side. Uh, but they get the space. And right when they finish construction, it was they had grown so much that they needed the space. So they get the space, they do construction right as they finish construction. COVID hit and the office closed. Oh, geez. By the time they had reopened the office, they had outgrown the expansion. Wow. So now the brewery, I, I don't know what the details are with the brewery, but I tell people the brewery did not survive COVID because the brewery was here before COVID and it wasn't here after COVID. And I've right. never really bothered to find out what exactly happened. It, it, but, I um, think that's a good guess. <laughs> that's what that's what I'm thinking. We've seen yeah. far too much of that across, yeah. across different businesses. So Scribe has now expanded. We've taken over that part of the building. And that is a major, like major, major construction. So we're doing a whole office build out off on that side. And then at the far end, Scribe is building a beautiful podcast and audiobook recording studio. Oh, wow. So they're going to be not only doing audiobook production in-house, they're going to be doing audiobook recording in-house. Mm -hmm. Wow. That yeah. is a big step forward. Yeah. So they, they wanted, so, th so that's what, you know, that's what sort of brought, brought me here, how it went. It was kind of funny. I was, you know, the, you do like a week or two weeks of onboarding when Scribe hires, you, you get familiar with their system and the different project management things and different people. And at 40 years old, I don't know how much of that I retained in those weeks of <laughs> onboarding. Um, kind of came out of that and it was all like, okay, so who are you and what do you do? Right, right. Uh, I'm still I'm still learning names for people that have been here <laughs> before I got here. Totally. There's just a lot of people. I mean, we're over 106. Oh, wow. Uh, I think we're over 106 full-time. It might be 104 full-time um, full folks. They don't all work in office. And just recently in, it was May 1st, we became a remote first company. Um, which was a big, that was a big deal for Scribe. Scribe had worked really hard to bring people in, but just given the state of what was going on in the world, we, uh, Javon made the call to make it remote first. And for any positions that don't need to be here, uh, they, they can go wherever they want to go and do their job, which is fantastic. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Plus the fact that I'm sure that of those hundred plus people, uh, since you were hired to head up the brand new audiobook division, most of them are not working in audiobook production. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I am <laughs> I'm pretty much it when it comes to audiobook production. Well, me and the, the freelance post team. Right. But it was it was my third day after onboarding. I was meeting with my direct support. Um well, that's what we call managers here, direct support. Ah. Uh, and walking she's our cxo uh, chief experience officer and i'm walking her yeah i had a meeting with her where i literally drew out audiobook production on a whiteboard um i talked and she drew because i don't draw things good but, <laughs> but uh laid it all out for her and then it was it was a day or two later she she comes up to my desk and gets me set up with Airtable, and uh explains to me how we're going to use Airtable as project management software for audiobooks and shows me what I need to do to build build it out and I get to work and I build it out. I have a great team here that helps me when I have a problem or if there's something that I don't know how to do, they just know how to do it. That's so it wasn't cool. like I was flying solo. You right, know, there's right. support here. When you need help, there is somebody here that can help you make magic happen. No, that's, that's great. That's <laughs> great. And I, I just want to make sure that people understand. So you work for scribe media. My understanding is that there's another company with scribe in the name that, uh, is a very different company. And so I just want to make sure that people understand that you work for scribe media. 
Thanks for explaining that, Rich. Yes, <laughs> we are Scribe Media. We are not yeah. the other Scribe. <laughs> okay, all right. Just just want to make sure that people understand that. Uh, well, that's cool. So so you got hired on to to head up the whole thing, and and um, that that must be exciting. I mean, some something a, a subject, a, a, an industry that you are very familiar with all the different pieces if you can describe to somebody who is drawing what you're describing on a whiteboard the process for the entire thing um that then you clearly know about it and you get to come into a building and kind of build it from the from the ground up i'm sure that that's exciting for both you and for them oh sure i it, I, it is it is exactly that i am so excited to be here i'm so excited with the challenges that they're throwing at me and it's like you walk into this building and you're just surrounded in love like it's it's crazy. That's, that's, that's crazy, fantastic. That, that's fantastic. Um, so what do but, you do mostly? I mean, at this point, I know that I've heard from you with, you know, potential projects coming up. Um, so that's part of the casting process. Um, what, what else at this point is Scribe doing when it comes to the, you know, top to bottom audiobook production? So I am in basically an oversight position here. So I built our post-production team. Uh, we got about 13 people that I sort of hand selected throughout the industry um, to to work with us, and that number is certainly going to grow. But we're you know that we're we're in a good we're in a good spot with what we have right now. So the way that it works is I'm not really in an author facing role, or that has changed a little bit recently since we opened audiobook production to non-scribe authors. Um, scribe at its core works with authors to write and publish their books and do the marketing for their books. Ah, got it. So we okay. kind of lived in the nonfiction world. That's Scribe's core business. And uh, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole functioning for how that part of the business works. So we have relationship managers and project managers and the relationship managers are the author facing folks. So they'll come to me and say, okay, we're ready to kick off this audio book. And then sort of I get the process built. So I'll do the pronunciation research. I'm not, you know, I'm not handing that off to anybody at this point in time. Uh, I do the casting. There's no one to hand that off to. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just what I, it's just what I do. And then when, you know, I'll, I'll work with the external studios when we, when we're sending an author to an external studio, or if we mm -hmm. cast a narrator that doesn't have a home studio, I'll make sure we're putting them in a good studio. We certainly have our favorites that we work with, but every now and again, somebody is not near a favorite and you got to figure out who, who's the best in that area. Right, right. Then uh, in January, we opened the doors to anybody that needed help with an audiobook, with making an audiobook. So for those authors, I am author facing. I'll work with those authors directly to get everything started. So same deal, do the pronunciation work, do the casting work. Uh, once it gets rolling, I assign a post team. We have, we have a two-person post team on each project. There's an editor that also handles mastering. And then there's a QCer that will do the QC and the spot check behind the editor before we, uh, before we send audio to the author to have them do a review before it goes to distribution. Sure, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned the pronunciation that you do that because... I'm used to doing my own pronunciation. I, I know that every place is different and I, I can't take, you know, this experience as, well, that's the way everybody does it. But I'm used to getting a book and figuring, okay, I'm going to have to spend anywhere from, so I'm going to have to pre-read the book, of course, but, but as I go along, I'm going to be making notes of what I need to pronounce and I'm going to spend, you know, one, two, the book I'm working on right now, 10 to 15 hours getting pronunciations for all these names uh names places whatever it is so that is something that you take care of that you provide the pronunciations for these things absolutely we uh okay. we use positron we run the script through positron we use their pronunciation research software mm -hmm. whatever it is the magic algorithm yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then i'll go through the list of words and i'll filter you know if, you, if you're not familiar with it i'll filter out the words that i don't think right rich and jeff we do not need to research those pronunciations right but right. my last name we probably got to research my last <laughs> so i know i did <laughs> <laughs> so i'll filter out what we don't need the pronunciations for and then i'll mark for research whatever i do think will trip a narrator up while they're 
got it while they're reading and it's obviously it's it's very subjective but sure yeah I err, absolutely i err on the side of caution i think a little bit probably give a little more than than is needed but i want to cover that ground as much as i can and i'll do a recorded pronunciation for each of those words oh, i link to you know oxford dictionary or some of the other dictionaries we don't really do phonetics because <laughs> we were running into some problems where like when we finish, when I finish the pronunciation research, we share it with our author. And the author, we give them instructions to how to go into Positron and change a pronunciation if we got it wrong. You know, if it's mm-hmm. a family member's name or if it's a foreign word, like I only speak English, you know, I right, do the best right. I can with foreign yeah, languages. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was happening was if they, if they changed a recorded pronunciation, some of them wouldn't update the phonetics. And then oh. it would go off to post-production because everybody gets this. The narrator gets this. The, the post-production team, both the editor and the QC are going to have access to the pronunciation research. So if you're working with somebody that understands phonetics, there's no need to listen to the pronunciation. And if you're working with someone that doesn't understand phonetics, then you need the pronunciation. And if those two yeah. things don't match, it becomes a big problem. Right. There's a lot of unnecessary pickups. So we took the phonetics out. We don't do phonetics. We just do recorded pronunciations. The author gives their stamp of approval after they finish it. And then we know it's good to go. And it's just up to everybody involved to use it. That's cool. So you mentioned that uh, initially Scribe Media was was, uh, primarily or entirely nonfiction. In terms of the audiobooks that they are dealing with now, since there is an in-house audiobook production arm, is it still primarily or entirely nonfiction, or are you guys doing all kinds of different stuff? It's prim- I mean, nonfiction is the bulk for sure. It is the bulk. We, I think, I think at this point we've only had three fiction titles roll in, and mm. they they literally all rolled in last week. so it really is right now but what do you see going forward do you see it being more uh half and half or is it still going to be primarily nonfiction? i definitely think we're going to see more fiction rolling through but i think we'll always because of the nature of scribe i feel like there's always going to be it's going to be skewed towards a little bit more sure but um I'm I'm excited for the fiction that comes through. I know our post sure. team is excited for the fiction that comes through. <laughs> yeah, some some different. When you were at Dion, uh, was it were you working on everything? I mean, since oh, yeah. you worked on so many different pieces, I know that Dion does pretty much you know all different genres. Um, were, were you working on pretty much all different genres in the roles that you had? Oh yeah, yeah. There there was no. I wouldn't say there was any one genre that dominated at Dion. I mean, you would mm-hmm. see a change from year to year. You would see a change from season to season. Sometimes what was coming through, um, it, you know, it, leading into the holidays, right? There was always an influx of the Amish Christmas stories. Always, <laughs> always, every clean, year. Clean, clean romance. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, That's so funny. Amish Christmas stories. Boy, talk about a subgenre. <laughs> Um, well, that's then, cool. So, so scribe is mostly nonfiction still, and you think it's yeah. probably gonna gonna stay that way. Although it, it sounds like it'll be branching out a little bit. Yeah, I, I am sure we are gonna see fiction, and, I, and I'm certainly excited for that. But I think we're just just the, the nature of scribe is probably going to attract more than nonfiction author. Yeah. So, what do you think of Austin so far? Now that you've been there for a little while, I miss the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> I got to tell you, having moved from the from Southern California to Northern California and then Northern California to Tucson, so do I. Uh, it's it's one of the things it's like, oh. well, even if you don't go to the beach every week, even if you only go a few times a year, it's there. It's there here. It's not here. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I totally understand that. I, I forgot you were in Tucson. I literally yeah. just just before i hopped on this with you i had a call a call from an old colleague that lives in tucson oh no kidding yeah is that <laughs> is is that philip by any chance no no but oh, phil, okay. is, phil is there yeah i've been yeah, trying yeah. i've been trying to get a hold of phil for a while that dude's busy <laughs> <laughs> he is yeah no i know I, I i feel really really lucky to have been able to interview him early in the history of uh, the audiobook speakeasy podcast and uh, he's he's a great guy 
so I, he just came to mind because I know that, you know, the Dion connection is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so t- Tucson is great, but it is not near the ocean. And it is something that if you like the ocean, which I do, I loved it. I, I could go and just sit at the beach. There's something, uh, I don't know, calming, melancholy. There, there are a lot of different things that the beach does to me, but I love it. I, I could yeah. spend hours just sitting, listening to the ocean and uh there there is no ocean here that's for sure <laughs> and i know there isn't in austin either <laughs> yeah it's a true it's nice it's nice yeah. to meet another rich it is you know, yeah some, some folks take it or leave it they just yeah. don't get it but but there's those of us that it is it is something special yeah something special and it, i feel that i mean i feel that pull every single day like where's yeah. the ocean where's the ocean? we totally. got a river that flows through and i got a stand-up paddleboard recently i haven't been out on it yet looking forward to that though yeah um, no it's great that's great it's it's close it's the beginning <laughs> <laughs> so but, uh, uh, so that's cool so so it's been a good move it, it sounds like everything that you've been saying is that it's been a very good move to go from a place that you liked working and you did a lot of things in the whole audiobook production chain and and now going someplace where you're doing where you're sort of overseeing everything uh in that chain someplace else sounds like it's been a good move aside from the ocean it, it, exactly. Yeah, it, it is. The position is great. Um, the guys that are building our studio are actually the guys that built Joe or the guys that are designing our studio or the guys that did Joe Rogan's studio. Oh. Um, so so they're doing they're doing that. I'm psyched to see, you know, how that's going to be when it's finished. It's I was in there a couple of weeks ago and it was all framed out. So I'm not really involved in the construction aspect, but um, right. But it's it's what's happening in school. We got some other, you know, some other things that they have me doing. Like we're doing, uh, we're offering a podcast production service for our authors. So we've worked oh. with Sweetwater to put a package together of equipment, um, and then we'll do like a ten episode production package with them. Cool. And uh, one of the things I've been working on lately is making instructional videos for how to set up and use the equipment that we recommend, which ah. you know, is the UA Apollo twin and the SM7B. And we have a dynamite in line preamp. So I'm doing a lot of, it's kind of weird. You know, I'm not used to being on like that side of a mic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, yeah. So yeah. it's a weird thing for me, but I'm pushing through and um, well, that's good. And then in the coming, in the coming weeks, we're going to be doing another series of videos where we really dive deep and walk our authors through audiobook production because they just don't, they, they just don't, a lot of them don't grasp it. No, you know, we, have, I know. we had an author that just recorded with a local studio here in Austin and he like, he finished, he finished recording and then wanted the audio files to go out to distribution. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. Doesn't work like that. We, nope, not at all. We, got, we need to do a little bit of work on them. Come on, give me give me a couple of weeks. Yeah. No, the authors that I've talked to, it it seems like there's there's a lot still where they don't get that. I, I think that that's changing. I think that in the past four or five years, um, there are a lot of a lot of authors who now, well, the beginning of it is they understand more how important it is to have an audio presence. The next step is understanding what goes into the the whole process of getting the yeah. audio production done, but um, but yeah, I've I've certainly encountered that. Um, well, well, that's cool. Cool. It, it sounds like everything's going great. So you've worked with over the course of your career, Dion Scribe. You've worked with a ton of narrators, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 words of wisdom would you have for uh, aspiring narrators out there? Words of wisdom. This, there's so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, something something that I see and something when I talk with narrators or I talk with new narrators and they, they, they want to start with the discussion about gear. What kind mm. of gear should I get? Or I have this gear. Is this gear good enough? And I really would love to see folks shift, right? Because there's gear and then there's also like working with narration coaches. Mm-hmm. And both of those things have immense value. There's, there's, no, there's no question about that. But I think the conversation should start with the space and mm. understanding how important your recording space is. Um, how to stay away from the vents that you may be able to hear pushing AC out into this conversation or heat when it gets cold. 
uh, the, the co-workers in the office, you know, obviously you wouldn't record an audiobook in this room, but you know, if we were doing this call a few hours earlier, oh my God, you would have been hearing so much background noise because wow. there is just not a quiet place in this office. Even when right. you tuck in to one of the private offices around you, you got people above you or below you. So anyway, bringing it back to the narrators, it, it's the space. You need to really treat the space. You need to make sure that your space is free of noise. It's free of internal noise. It's free of external noise. You don't want your neighbor's dog uh, barking if you happen to live under a flight path or if you happen <laughs> to live in Los Angeles with the fleet of police helicopters and all the crazy people that make all the helicopters fly around all day long. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to battle that even even in the Dion audio days, right? Because Dion audio was close to the Ventura Boulevard and Reseda Boulevard intersection. Mm-hmm. So the, the crazy people would go do something crazy, and then the police would send the helicopters. Out. The helicopters <laughs> would chase somebody around the neighborhood, and then the news helicopters come, and they just hover. And you have all of a sudden this fleet of helicopters that is, you know, in actuality, a quarter mile away from the studio. And there are professional right. sound booths there, but you can't record. You, you no. have to stop recording. No, so, and, and, unless you're <laughs> in a true anechoic chamber, it's, it's like there's there's just no way to keep that stuff out. So, yeah, exactly. So you really need to be mindful of your space. Um, I had a narrator that that was thinking about getting a whisper room. and They lived on a ground floor apartment that faced Hollywood Boulevard. Mm. And, and I was like, don't move. Yeah. <laughs> move and then get a whisper room. But that's not good. You're going to have a hell of a time. Like even yeah. at two o'clock in the morning, you're going to have a hell of a time. Yeah, no, I, I so, totally hear that. So I think the space needs to play a much larger role in the conversation, especially when folks are getting started and, and they haven't, you know, they're all gear focused and they're all like, I need to get coaching. You do need to get coaching and you do need to get good gear, but all the coaching in the world and all the great gear in the world is going to mean nothing if you don't have a great space. <laughs> yep. To- totally hear that. I, I agree. I mean, after building my booth, um, Holy cow, it's it is pretty darn massive and there's uh you know insulation and everything. I always have to stop. I, I'm I think eleven or twelve miles from an air force base. I'm mm. probably twelve or fourteen miles from an airport. Um, you know, there are certain planes, no problem. There are a lot of planes, big problem. Right, uh, yeah. so so and this is you know, this is a you know, major construction project. So I, I completely hear that. And I, I agree. It's like getting all those things to be able to do this work well with the right equipment is fantastic, but far better to use a hundred dollar mic in a well-treated space than a U87 in a space where everything comes through. It's mm-hmm. just, it's it, the, the U87 is not worth the money. No, so, no. Yeah. So to- totally hear that. Yeah. The the other piece that I would offer to narrators, and this is, I mean, I I think everybody hears this way too much, but you can never hear it enough. Networking is so key. Mm. This this industry is, you know, it's just double digit growth year after year after year. More more and more books are getting made. Uh, Networking is so key, and and I know I know it's tough because like not. Not all casting people, not all producers, not all executive producers are just like, hey, here I am. Come talk to me. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) You you need to find the way to make that connection. And it's so important. If if you can make connections with the decision makers, the books are going to come. They're they're just going to come. So find find the way to network. find, Find the magic the magic method to make a connection because each person is going to be different. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'm certainly hoping, I know that I am not alone in hoping that APAC is in person again next year, but uh, it seems like the world has just completely changed. And at this point, I, you know, for a long time, I've thought, well, you can't really depend on anything and who knows what's going to happen in the future. But now at this point, I feel like well, you can't really depend on anything and who knows what's going to happen next week. And so I, I just, I, I feel like I, I'm making no plans for APAC because I know that they are planning on doing it in person, but who the hell knows what's going to be happening by then. Uh, so I certainly hope that that's possible because, you know, being able to just meet people in person, 
even if it's just other narrators, uh, is mm-hmm. is just a, a real plus. And of course, being able to meet the producers and the people that you want to work for, that's a huge deal as well, uh, a bigger deal. But uh, just being in person, uh, such such a difference. And it's great that they've been able to do them virtually, but it's it's just different. Um, it is. So I, it is. I certainly hope that they do them in person again. Uh, do you have plans on going to an APAC if it's in person again? Oh, Rich, I, I have never been to one. Never I've been to never, one in person. Oh my years god! In this industry. Well, I hope you start. <laughs> I hope I hope you start. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> I think I and I think with this position, it is much with this company, it is much more likely that I will be at one. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm sure there are a lot of people who'd like to see you. So, um, so what do you do when you're not uh, when you're not producing audiobooks? I'm I'm trying to. Trying to figure it out, Rich. <laughs> trying to, <laughs> trying to find some time to do those things. Well, it's it's not so much trying to find the time. The time is there, and Scribe is immensely supportive of you being you and doing the things that you need to do, which, which is crazy. I mean, the, the CEO, we had a state of the company meeting a few months back, and the CEO was like, if you want to go out on the paddleboard at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, go do it. Just get get the results that we need you to get that's it so you, you we get a lot of freedom here to work our schedules in a way that best fits us mm-hmm. really what i was saying though it was coming you know out of out of covid those those years in la when covid hit everything locked down i mean what is this two or three years now it's yep <laughs> over two yep <laughs> When when the ocean was there, I liked to surf. When the mountains mm. were there, I liked to hike. That when the when the art and culture were there, you know, that's more what my wife's into. We would have regular dates at museums and see art and things like that. So now we're in this new place. The ocean is a million miles away. Yeah. It's a much smaller city. And aside from the people I work with, I don't really know anybody here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I literally. <laughs> I literally said to my wife the other night, I go, I think I forgot how to have fun. Like, I, don't, I don't know what to do anymore. I totally understand. <laughs> totally understand. I, I hope you find some ways to do that, though. Uh, I, I know that Austin is, um, Austin has stuff around it. And, and so yeah. even though it's very different, I'm sure there'll be f- stuff to find. But yeah, moving after move, moving out there right after the beginning of a pandemic or or right before it started, uh, holy cow! You know, you get a different sense of what than what you would have, you know, a year or two before. Mm-hmm. So. And a, a funny a funny note on COVID, and I and I'm glad that I can laugh about it. But it was this past you know this past Christmas for me, you know, Scribe shuts down like the rest of the public publishing industry during that week between Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. So I think we had, they gave us an extra day. So I think we, I forget what the exact date was, but basically there was a week and a day or a week and two days. And I had three days of personal time. So it was going to be a two week stretch, a company paid time off, which was something that I had not had in over 13 years, (laughs) over 13 years. And now there's a two week block where I'm getting paid and I get to just, do whatever I want to do. Nice, yeah. I don't necessarily have to work. <laughs> um, literally, day one, first day of this two-week stretch, both my wife and I got COVID. <laughs> oh, damn. Knocked us on our asses for two weeks. Wow. The only day we went out was the Sunday before I went back to work. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope that <laughs> the next two week vacation that you get is is not like that. <laughs> You'll be <meet> both. <laughs> yeah. So, Jeff, where can people find you online? Uh, Scribe Media. You personally, uh, you have social media presence. I do on on Facebook. I'm just me. I'm just Jeff Gio. On and that Inst- and that's G U I L L O T. G U I L L O T. That All is right. it. All right. On Instagram. I'm, I'm going to look because I don't remember what I'm Jeff underscore the vegan because I, I am vegan, Rich, and I have to work that into every single conversation. Okay. In one way or another. So <laughs> no worries. Wait, totally understand. Got that, got that in there on LinkedIn. It's just, again, it's just me, Jeff, the vegan. I'm not really on Twitter. There's a, there's an old Twitter account from that was used basically when I played in a band out in LA and that is, mm long defunct um, 
So yeah, it's, it's like Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. All I right. think you can email me, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to get emails. Don't, don't bombard me with emails, but you know, quarterly check-ins are nice or okay. monthly check-ins, something like that. And it's just first name dot last name at scribemedia.com. Okay. That's great. And, uh, and so it's scribemedia.com is the website for scribe. Yeah. Scribe so people, people can find out more about scribe that way. Yep. Uh, okay. oh, absolutely. And I would, I would really encourage that everybody go look at scribe and see what a freaking incredible company this is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's good to know. Jeff, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me, Rich. Really great talking with you, man. Happy to come back anytime. All right. I hope the lacrosse was good. Uh, I got to say the good cork is gone. My, my drinks are not always gone by the end of the interview, but I really like this one. The, the combination of Irish whiskey and mezcal is quite a, quite a different combination that uh, I, I didn't expect to be all that great, but I, I think it's really good. Send me that. I'd like to give that. I'd like to I will. try that. Yeah, no, I, I will. It's a, uh, it, it's a good one. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thank you, sir. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Jeff Gio for coming in. I really enjoyed hearing about his experiences at Dion Audio and Scribe Media, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Special thanks this week to Alex Knox for becoming a beer-level patron recently. Alex, your financial support is greatly appreciated, and it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!